Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this message, Billy Humphrey starts off the new year talking about how important it is to maintain unity in the spirit. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. All right, so I'm getting ready to start a series Gus and I will do over the next several weeks. And honestly, as I was praying about what we're supposed to start the year with, I did feel like the Lord gave us this this thrust and this word. And so just want to kind of tell you how we, you know, came up with this, how we got here, and then, um, and then get into it for us tonight. But, you know, I was thinking a lot about last year, 2023, and just, just all the cool stuff from 2023, specifically with gatekeepers, you know, and just even the beginning of the year, I mean, this time last year, I was speaking at gatekeepers, and I had no idea that Mary Beth and I would be becoming uh, the, the leaders of gatekeepers, and we had no idea that Gus and Shirley would be jumping in with us. We had no idea what God had in store for us. And, uh, and so literally just did a one-off. And, but I remember that so clearly that Thursday night I was sitting in the back and I'm going, I'm having all these ideas about, oh, it would be so cool if we did this and did this and had all these things you know, in my mind about what we could do with gatekeepers. And I'm, then I'm like, wait a minute. We're don't, we don't lead gatekeepers. Like we just, you know, we love it, but we're not trying to get in there and lead it. And, um, and I remember just throwing out a few fleeces to the Lord and saying, hey, what's the deal? And, uh, do, you know, if, if you want me to, to do that, then make it really clear in a few ways. And, you know, we told the whole story back then. But the Lord was speaking to Casey about transitioning, speaking to us about transitioning in. And so by April, it was only April that Mary Beth and I stepped in and that's wild because we've only been together eight months. That's wild. We did a lot of living in eight months. But then we, you know, we did the summer party. How many was at the summer party? Come on, that was awesome. And our goal, I remember our goal was, could we possibly get 100 people at the summer party? And we hit 100 in attendance the week before the summer party. And then we had like 120, 125. And I remember like, um, maybe five or seven people got saved at the worship time after the summer party. It was just so good. I remember God breaking in during worship in those early days and then the, the ministry times and intercession rolling through, God moving in power, people getting touched dramatically, dynamically in those moments. And then our attendance continued to climb, and then we moved to the sanctuary. Oh, my gosh, not because of attendance, but because our, our heating and air conditioning went out. Glory to God. But then we stayed in the sanctuary until our attendance came on back down when school started. <laughs> and then we moved back in here, but we had family nights. We had our men's and women's retreats. We had friends giving. It was hot. It was about 150 degrees inside Gus and Shirley's. That was awesome. Remember how hot it was? We could, you couldn't cool that off for whatever reason. It was extra body heat and odor. Anyway... It was nice. Um, I, 
we just had we had a good year, and then our Christmas party. Just, we just had so many things. But probably one of my favorite times was when um, when we did we did some fasts together last year. Wave at me if you can, if you did even one meal over any of any of the fasts. I mean, that's like every one of y'all. Like y'all are just freaking amazing. And um. And I remember we, we jumped in and we did those midnight rumbles. Wave at me if you did any of the midnight rumble sets. Yeah. Probably my favorite times. Did my voice crack? Probably. <clears throat> Probably. It was one of my favorite times. Um, was when we would show up. And guys, remember when we would have... 40 or 50 people crammed into the glass lounge, like wall to wall in there, like we're going to take communion. Like, I mean, it was so fun. Just such good moments last year. And anybody that came to any of those prayer and fasting meetings, I was almost like a prayer Nazi. There's no such thing as a prayer Nazi, but I was almost that. Because we had a specific way that we did our prayer meetings, Right? If you came into the prayer meeting, where did you sit? Up front and to the left. And, and then we, when we prayed on the prayer mic, we didn't let anybody go by themselves, right? How did we go? Huh? How do we go? Together. There was something that touched my heart in those, in those moments when we were emphasizing that we go together. And I think that out of everything that we did last year, that, that idea, that spiritual force, that thrust of the Holy Spirit, that we would go together. Man, that, that probably meant more to me than anything. And I, I mean, that's kind of how I'm built I don't like to go alone. I don't like to be alone. Some of you, some of you introverts, I don't get you very much. My wife is an introvert. I'm an extrovert. I'm a Klingon. Hallelujah. I know she'll be walking out the door. I'm like, don't leave, babe. What are you doing? She's like, I'm going to rescue this person and minister the gospel to them and cast the devil. I was like, and you're going to leave me here. How, how could you? I'm, I am that guy. Okay, maybe I'm a little extra needy. I'll just confess that right now. But, I, but there, I, my love language is, is, personally, my love language is people that want to do stuff with me. Want to go, go together with me. It just, man, especially when it's hard. Right? Especially when you got something, you ever had like something you had to face, it was super hard, and somebody said to you like, hey, look, I don't know how I can help, but I'm in this with you. And even if they did nothing, you just feel invigorated. You just feel like, I, I, could, I could do this, because somebody's willing to go, to go with you, Right? That was my favorite times going into those going into those briefings, taking communion. And I'd say, we go. That's so fun.
so. Wait, let's just do that again. We go? One more time. We go? Oh, that gives me chills. Um, not really. But anyway, Mufasa. So, exactly. What? Say it again. Um, anybody know the Mufasa reference I just made? Does anybody know what that was? Okay, good. Just some of the older. Just been like, no, dude. We don't know what you're talking about half the time. But, sh- but you're quite excited, so keep talking. Uh, so, we're going to start the year with a series that I think grabs where we've been and points us to where we're going, and it is called We Go We Go Together. All right, so for three weeks, we're going to talk about that. We go together. So, I want to teach from the Bible tonight. Do you guys like the Bible? Awesome. Open to Ephesians chapter 4. Just as you're turning over there, I want to pray. Lord, we need you, Jesus. We love you and we need you. And I'm asking that even tonight, you would speak to us by your spirit from the word that you would open the eyes of our understanding, break in with light and revelation. God, I pray that tonight you would give us a vision and clarity on the power of unity. Give us vision and clarity on the power of unity. Open our hearts, and Lord, help me to speak as an oracle. I pray you'd hold my hand and let me speak as your mouthpiece. And anything that's from me, let it fall to the ground. And anything that's from you, let it burn every heart. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So Ephesians 4, it's been a verse, a passage that has meant probably more to me in the last 10 weeks than almost anything else. It's just been my hobby to go back to Ephesians 4 and just drink on it and just let it speak to my, to my heart. And it's, it's interesting because th- this is probably one of the most sort of just, yeah, I know that kind of verses. It's probably one that when you're reading, it doesn't stick out to you or jump out to you in any kind of big way. But there's so much weight on this passage that it has to be considered, and not just considered like in an important way, but it, the weight that's on this, and I'll explain that in a moment, why it's so weighty, but the weight that's on this, it requires you and I to take what's in this passage and apply it to our lives every single day. It really is that level of important. And it's not just this passage. I'm going to show you other examples in the New Testament that identify how significant this is. But I, I think about our world and how it's constructed, how people respond to one another now, how people act with one another now. 
and, and really how even like our social norms, like with just our online and our digital lives, how it, it actually mitigates against the truths that are in this passage. It actually tries to, there's a, there's a great force in the world, a demonic force that's trying to get us to be uh, apart, to try to separate us, to try to, to bring disunity among people and try to isolate people. And we all know that. If you can isolate any individual, you can pick them off. It's, it's how, you know, predatorial animals hunt. They just look for the one that's easily to, easy to isolate. They look for the weak one, the one on the side, the one that's left behind. They just go for the easy kill. So half the work that the devil does is he tries to separate people and isolate them. He tries to get them to feel ostracized or left out or not apart. That's why the work of cliques in the church that doesn't include and invite other people, it can be so demonic without you even thinking about it. Most people don't realize, but the Greek word for devil, diabolos, one of the definitions of that is the divider. So he separates and isolates and I know this is going to sound like I'm reading your mind, but this is what everybody experiences. You ever been going through something and in the, the weight and the pain, the difficulty of it, to somewhere in there you just go, nobody understands. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody's ever felt like this. I've got it worse than anybody. How do I know we've all had that thought? Because that is a common attack of the enemy. And it's not that everybody's had your same problem. It's that he's trying to pile on when you're in the, the difficulty, you're in the hard moment, you're in the conflict, you're in the junk. He's trying to pile on and separate you. They don't care about you. They didn't. Did you see how he looked at you? Did you see that? He shook hands with the three people next to you and skipped you. It's because he thinks you're a jerk. And, I mean, it, you know, it's all those stupid things that start rolling in our mind. And the enemy's goal, it's, it, he's doing all the work just to try to get you out of the number. Because if he can get you out of the number, now you're easy to pick off. In the group, hard to pick off. Isolated, easy. Easy pickings. Well, Paul, in Ephesians 4, man, the weight of what's going on here is it's so, oh, it's just so intense. Verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring, or in another translation it says, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That Reading that through those few verses, those three verses, that's simple enough. Doesn't sound like anything earth-shattering. Sounds pretty simple. Hey, be humble, be united. All right, move along. Like, it's, it doesn't sound like this giant bomb hit, but let me contextualize this for you. First of all, Paul is writing from a Roman prison. He's sitting there, and he is in jail for the testimony of the gospel. 
and he's writing to the church of Ephesus because he has authority over them. He's responsible for them, and he's dealing with their divisions in their midst. If you read Ephesians 2, you find out that they are having a major issue between Jew and Gentile, and Paul is trying to speak right into it to draw them together in the gospel. And most people don't realize, but there is a major thrust throughout the entire New Testament of unity and cultural reconciliation that is inherent in the gospel. In Paul's appeal in Ephesians 2, he goes, you've been, uni- you've been reunited with God. Pieces be- come between you and God, and pieces come between you and one another. There is no more dividing line. You're all one new man in Christ. So the Jew and Gentile who had the worst The worst cultural divide, the worst racism, the worst separation and hatred. He goes, all of that has been destroyed because you have the same spirit inside of you. No matter who you are, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, doesn't matter, male, female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one. He is is putting the force of the power of the gospel on the church so that they would be united and not be in division and not have schisms and be separated. And so in Ephesians 3, he goes, I want you to know the love of God, the height, the width, the depth, the length, to know the love of Christ which passes understanding, that you be filled with all the fullness of God. And he goes, now to him, Verse 20, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. To him, be glory in the church forever. That's how he ends chapter 3. He goes, now, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord. He goes, I'm writing to you from jail, guys. You think he's just like, so who won the game, yo? Like, you think he's just giving like trivial you know, small talk. He goes, no, I'm the prisoner of the Lord. He goes, I'm asking you. No, no, I beseech you. He goes, I'm urging you. Walk worthy of the calling that you have in Christ. I go, okay, okay, I feel that now. Now I feel the weight of it. Now I feel the weight that you are in jail for the gospel. You're urging me to walk worthy of Jesus' death, his shed blood. How is it that you want me to do this? I I feel the force of it now. What is it you're asking me to do? He goes, here's what you do. You walk worthy of the calling. And I go, okay, I'm ready. He goes, with all lowliness. I go, could you give me something else? (laughs) He goes, yeah, yeah, I got something else for you. I go, okay, good, good, good. He goes, gentleness. I'm like, oh, for two. I go, give me one more. He goes, no problem. All long-suffering. I'm like, you got any other way I can walk worthy? (laughs) Give me anything else. He goes, no problem, I got you. Bear with one another in love. I'm like, I'm, I'm bad at all that. I'm bad at lowliness, gentleness. I'm bad at long-suffering or patience. And I'm bad when people are ticking me off at bearing with them in love. I'm really good at going, hey, you ticked me off. I'm out. Like, I'm really good at that. 
tick me off. I'm happy to just leave you. See ya. Like, I don't, ha- I don't need this. Why do I need this? I don't need that. Anybody has it go? Ain't nobody got time for that. I saw that, this old meme this weekend, this uh, holiday. I saw the original. Lord Jesus as a fire. It's so good. Ain't nobody got time for that. She had bronchitis. Anyway. It's funny what comes up in the archives. Um, I should have acted like it was brand new. That would have been better. I saw this brand new funny meme. Ain't nobody got time for that. That would have been like, oh, bro. Uh, I'm really good at the opposite of all these. I'm really good at not lowliness or humility. I'm really good at not gentleness, but being direct, confrontational, and even sometimes hard. I'm really good at being impatient. And I'm really good at not bearing with people who are difficult. By nature, I'm not good at any of those. By personality type, I'm just, it's just, those don't describe my personality type. They don't describe my sin nature or my personality type. Some of you got a rearing, a roaring, uh, your sin nature is just as bad as mine, but your personality type, you just, you look so sweet. So gentle. And we already know you're gentle on the outside, but inside you're in there judging everybody hardcore. We know, we know how that works. There's still sin in the heart that's got to get dealt with by the blood of Jesus. Okay, that's a different message for another time. But here's the point. When Paul says a worthy walk, what's important, and he's putting weight on it, and he's saying, see that? That's the anointing right there. It's not. It's our electrical is going bad. Anyway, he's saying, I'm asking you as a prisoner of the Lord to walk in a manner that's worthy of Jesus. He goes, it's going to take humility. It's going to take lowliness. It's going to take long-suffering, gentleness. You're going to have to bear long with one another. And he goes, I want you to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. He goes, and you do it You preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peace will keep you united. So, golly, can we do something? Help me, Lord. Everybody just lift your hands. No, I'm joking. If it keeps going, maybe we can flip it off or something. Somebody that knows things about lights. Um, I was thinking about how peace, when you... When you fight for peace, and I don't mean like ignore things so that you feel better. I mean you actually work through hard things with people. Right? There's a difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. You know, you see the person you don't like and you look the other way and act like you didn't see him. That's not making peace. Are y'all with me tonight at all? Yes. That's, that's called keeping peace. Making peace is you have a conflict and you go and work it out. You work through it. I'm shocked by how little people ever do that. They just don't work stuff out with people. They got issues with people. They don't talk it through with them. They don't meet and they don't 
chat. They don't share. They don't humble themselves. Well, Paul said, here's the deal. Peace will bind you together, and it will enable you to keep the unity of the Spirit. So you got conflict, you got to go for peace. Why? Because there's this thing you got to carry, the unity of the Spirit. And the unity of the Spirit is bought violently. It's a worthy walk of Jesus. It's bought violently, violently through long-suffering, lowliness, gentleness, and bearing long. See, some of y'all are looking at me like you got into fights over the holidays. And you didn't work it out yet. And if that is the case, this word's for you. But this word is for all of us. Because the weight on this passage, it's so underrated, but it is so exceptionally important. And I would just say this. That the the power... That's available to the church, to the New Testament church. There's a few things that are prerequisites to that power. One of them is faith. You can't be completely unbelieving and expect miracles to break out. It just doesn't work. Faith, it, it accesses that power. We believe, right? And when we believe, God moves, right? One of them is faith. One of them that accesses power, it's the unity of the Spirit. It's the unity of the Spirit. Here's the thing. The same Holy Spirit that's in you is in the person that you're having that conflict with. If they're a believer, same Holy Spirit. And guess what? Holy Spirit is never against himself. So he's always urging you to come together in peace. Every impulse you have that's causing you to pull apart or pull away is not an impulse from the Holy Spirit because he is driving toward the unity of the Spirit. He's breathing on your heart. He's giving you inclinations to go and make peace, to work through the difficulty, to repent where you've sinned, and to forgive when you've been sinned against. He's not telling you to hold grudges. He's not telling you to just blast somebody on social. He's telling you to repent and forgive and make peace Why? Because there is a power in the unity of the Spirit that most believers, especially in America, have no idea about. But if I can get a group of believers united in spirit, free from offense, free from unforgiveness, and moving together toward the Lord in the unity of the Spirit, I mean, it is 10 out of 10, the power of God hits that. Jesus promised it. He said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name. What's uns- he says, I'm in the midst. What's unspoken in that passage is two or more who are united in my name. And we have absolutely undersold and, and underemphasized the essential nature of being united. Of going together. Of the unity of the Spirit. 
And what we've done is we've harbored offense, we've harbored unforgiveness, we've gotten in conflict and not worked it through to resolution, and what we've done is we've separated ourselves in schisms and factions and isolations, and by doing so, we've thwarted the power of God that is available and will be manifest where there is the unity of the Spirit. So Paul says, I'm a prisoner in jail for the Lord, guys. You guys are having a bunch of divisions over racial stuff. He goes, I am begging you. I'm adjuring you. Have a worthy walk of the Lord. He goes, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. He goes, in humility, lowliness, bearing with one another, You know why he said bear with one another? Because he knows they're going to do the thing that ticks you off. He knows you're going to take a hit or two and you're just going to have to bear through it. And what's wild to me is in our current culture of rage and accusation and the way that things are played out um, online and in conflicts, It's so interesting to me. Nobody owns their own stuff. Everybody shows up with a shotgun, blasting, blasting, blasting. You, problem, just blasting, blasting, blasting. No one ever looks at themselves. Where is our own responsibility in the conflict? As much, the Bible says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace. And I am telling you, there is a power in unity. There is a power in going together if we will allow the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to call us in to this beautiful thing called the unity of the Spirit. We'll allow him to call us into it. Now what's interesting is he says, Be diligent to preserve it. I want to tell you something. If you're born again, you've already got the unity of the Spirit. But you have a choice. Will I preserve the unity of the Spirit? Will I do what's what I'm responsible for? Will I engage in a way that I'm responsible for me? Will I engage in a way of humility, loneliness, bearing long, gentleness? Will I engage in that way to make sure Holy Spirit's unity is manifest with everyone I'm in relationship with? It's interesting to me. In conflict, You can make a simple appeal. I've pulled this verse out with people in conflict, in conflict with me, or people in conflict with one another. And I go, hey, listen, I know it's hard. I know you guys are in conflict. I know you're going through a thing. I get it. It's hurtful. It's painful. I get all that. I'm, all I'm asking is to consider Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Consider the unity of the Spirit and what he's inviting you to in, in humility and lowliness and, and, and what he's inviting to you in, in, in long-suffering and bearing with one another. Just consider the unity of the Spirit. It's so interesting to me how often when I've made that appeal, I'm met with, yeah, that's good and all, brother, but there's a time to fight. 
Well, Paul's in prison begging you. To preserve the unity of the spirit. So if you want to fight, let me teach you how to fight. With lowliness, humility, bearing long with gentleness. You want, you want to fight? Fight the war in here. Because you know what? You don't want to be humble, do you? You want to tell them. Time to get told. Messed around and found out, didn't you? We're all built like that because our flesh is having to be, it's having to come under the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes, no, no, no. You want to fight? He goes, great. Fight the fight on the inside of you. Be lowly. If I did an altar call right now and said, everybody who wants to be lowly, come down. I'm going to impart the power of lowliness. You all would be like, yeah, good. They needed it. But nobody is sitting here going, yes, I want to be lowly. Paul goes, I'm begging you. I'm begging you, be lowly. He goes, guys, listen to me. I'm in jail. I'm telling you what's important. Be lowly. Be gentle. Can I just, I just want to tell you all something. I suck at being gentle. I do. I will be like, I'm going to be so gentle. Hey! <laughs> it, I mean, it's just, I'm, I, the Holy Spirit, when you see gentleness in me, just know, I am watching a miracle right now. Oh, my God. He's moving in power. It's just not how I'm wired. I'm angsty, and I like to do things intensely. And he goes, bro, settle down. Settle down, little buddy. I sense as I'm sharing this and the way y'all are responding, I know that these words are probably convicting to you as they have been to me. They've been a governor on my soul. They fastened me to be lower than I would prefer and to be slower than I prefer. I find the quicker I am to speak, the more arrogant I am. You ever notice in a conflict you turn into a fast-talking lawyer? who's about to accuse and prosecute. When you're in a conflict and you're prosecuting the other person, bruh, you've already lost. You've already lost. So I sense that that's ministering to you guys in a personal way. Maybe we're all not good at this. I've said I'm not good at it. I've said the truth that I suck at some of this. If you're not good at it, just wave at me. If you're not waving, you're just going to come down here and lay hands on all of us. Come on down with your anointed self. No, I know. I know. Well, so we need to repent in there. Repentance isn't a bad word. It's a great word. It gets us in, in, in con contact with Jesus. It gets us lined up with him. 
gets us out of the flesh and in lined, up, lined up with him. We refuse and disagree with darkness, and we agree with light. That's what repentance is. But here's something that's so powerful, too, and it's Acts, uh, John 17. Just turn over there real quick. I won't spend a lot of time. I could spend, I've preached an entire series on this passage, but I just want to mention it. Y'all good? Y'all hanging in here? Okay. Here's Jesus' last prayer on his last night. Just think that through for a moment. Last prayer on his last night before he goes to the cross. There's seven sayings of the cross. But when he's on, when he's in his prayer moment, the last prayer on his last night, do you think he's praying stupid stuff? You think he's asking to win the lottery? You think he's, you know what I'm saying? He's probably praying the most important stuff, yeah? Could we agree with that? We'll look at verse 20. I don't pray for these alone, but for also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now you have Jesus, God on the planet, talking to God the Father in the throne room about you. Jesus praying to the Father for you, not just for the disciples that are with him, but for everyone who would believe in Jesus through their word. Do you believe in Jesus? How did you get to believing in Jesus? Through the words of the first apostles, through the disciples. So you're one that he's actually praying for. This is huge. Okay, Jesus, I'm ready. Last prayer on your last night. You're praying for me. What is it? That they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. This is a transcendent truth. By that I mean it's a spiritual, heavenly truth that's beyond human measures because Jesus and the Father, they aren't united. Unity is about bringing together parts that are separated. Jesus and the Father were never separated. Jesus and the Father are one. He doesn't pray for unity. He prays for oneness. In the same measure that he and the Father are one, he goes, make them one. He's talking about what Paul described as the unity of the Spirit. That the Spirit, though he's in different ones who are separated, it's all one. It's the same idea. This is Jesus' last prayer on his last night. Where, where would this rank on the things that are important to Jesus? Up there, yeah? That they also may be one in us. Why? Why? Why would it matter that we're one? That the world may believe that you sent me. Could I propose something to you? That the ineffectiveness of our gospel witness has nothing to do with whether or not we're articulating the message very well. It has everything to do with whether or not we are united in love by the unity of the Spirit. And that it's ineffective. If I tell you Jesus loves you, he will transform your life. And they look at the church and we're all in divisions and schisms and denominations and One who divides. The divisions in the body of Christ are authored by the enemy to make our witness of no effect. 
to steal the effectiveness of the gospel witness. Jesus said it's so clear that they would be one, what? That the world would believe. And the glory, look at this. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them. What's the glory? It's the Holy Spirit that baptized Jesus. He goes, I'm giving it to them that they could be one. You have everything available to you in Christ to allow you to enter into oneness with your brothers and sisters. You and I have it. Will we be diligent to choose it and preserve it? I and them, you and me, that they may be perfect in one. He's going to say it again. That the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. Could it be that the world doesn't believe our gospel witness and the love of God because they don't see the love in the church that we have with one another because they don't see it, don't believe it? This thing has been gripping me, y'all. When I see Satan rage and raise his ugly head, the thing that I see him attack, it, 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 it's always in a few categories, but one of the most significant ones is this issue of the unity of the Spirit. Well, now that you're, I got your attention, you recognize how powerful it is, let me just show you a few points from the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 2. Just look at this. Just let your eyes rest on this. Some of y'all can quote this. But we don't think much of it. We go, God, give us another Pentecost. Send fire, send fire, fire. As me quoting me. <laughs> fire. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. One accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them and they were filled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 3,000 people would get born again off of that encounter. And it would be the birthing of the church which to this day would see millions upon millions born into the kingdom. But that power encounter of the day of Pentecost, I want to just propose something to you. It's absolutely silly. It's absolutely short-sighted and foolish to pray for another Pentecost to have one accord in one place. Everybody wants the sound of the mighty rushing wind. Everybody wants the, the mighty rushing wind, the sound from heaven. They want the fire that falls. What comes before that? One accord, one place. Together in the Spirit. Together in the Spirit. You know what one of our challenges is in church? Maybe it's not conflict that's divided you. Maybe it's just our consumer mentality. 
I came to get my thing. Oh, they're singing that song I hate, so I ain't going to worship right now. Because everybody knows when it's a song I don't like, Jesus isn't worthy. Everybody knows when it's a song I don't like, Jesus is no longer worthy. Look, we're so, I, I love us in here because we're mocha chakalaka caramel latte. That's us. We're so swirled up. But we are so American. Do you know why I say that? Because most of every single room we walk into, we walk into the room going, me. Me. See me? Me. Me, me, me. I mean, that's how we do it. And we literally are walking into the room thinking about us. How often do you walk in the room going, you, you. But we're so American, we walk in me, we almost never walk in we. 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 Because Americans don't think like that. We live in apartments and subdivisions. We don't think we. we. We read the verses in the New Testament that says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Americans read that as singular. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But anybody who's Spanish will tell you that word is nosotros. You. What did you say? Yeah. It's plural. It's the plural you, yeah? Oh, yeah. It's the plural. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Does that mean God doesn't live on the inside of you? No, no, we got other verses. It's very clear that God's on the inside of you. And God's on the inside of us. He's looking for a place that he can dwell. A people who are being built together as living stones. But what if you're sitting next to another stone and you just don't like them? I ain't, I ain't in this, man. I don't like you. Turn my chair around. God can't move in that, in that disunity. And he can't move in that place when you're sitting there going, I'm here for me to get my thing from my God. I've heard, I've heard Bible preachers, conference speakers go, it's your time for your thing for your God. Great, what about us and we, which is the thrust of the New Testament? You are being built together as a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Acts 2, they were all in one accord in one place. Acts 5, flip over, I want your eyes to see it. Acts 5, in my opinion, is the pinnacle of the glory of God manifesting in the New Testament. Acts 5. Why? 
Because when they bring them in, and they bring them in, they bring in Ananias and Sapphira, they don't bring them into the church building because they didn't have a church building. They just brought them into the gathering of the believers. All right, now watch this. The glory of God is in the midst of those believers so significantly that when Ananias and Sapphira come in, and for those of you that don't know the story, they came in and they lied. They lied about how much they had sold a piece of property for. And first Ananias, then Sapphira, or how, is that right in the passage? Is it first Ananias? Yeah, yeah. First Ananias, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. He comes in. He goes, here, here's the money. We sold our land. Here's the money. And Peter looks at him, and they're not in a church building. They're in a gathering. They're probably in a home or maybe in one of the, the appendages on the temple courts. They come, does it say in the text? Because I'm just not even looking at it. What does it say with that? Yeah. Does it say? Yeah. So they're not, don't think a church facility. They didn't have those yet. It's a home or the temple courts. They're in some kind of a gathering area. But the redeemed were there together, and they were in the unity of the Spirit. And so they come in, and they go, we sold our land. At first, it's Ananias. We sold our land. And, and Peter looks at him and goes, you're lying. You're lying. He goes, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and he falls down and dies. Somebody goes, God killed him? No, he was in the glory. He was in the glory. Because the redeemed, I'm going to show you in a second, Ephesians 2.22, are being built together as a dwelling place for God in the spirit. So that when they were sin in the midst and they came in doing the sin, just like the high priest would die if he had sin in his life when he went into the Holy of Holies, Ananias goes and says, I'm going to try that out, walks into the gathering of the redeemed, and he falls down dead as he lied. Because it was like he walked into the Holy of Holies. Why? Because the New Testament church is the temple of God. It's the pinnacle. The Acts 5 is the pinnacle of glory. So much so that when the redeemed were gathered, there was so much God in the room. You can't lie in that place. You can't be in disunity in that place. You can't be in compromise in that place. He said, man, you're, you're a little intense. Read the Bible. This milk toast, watered down, cotton candy Christianity where everybody feels so good all the time and there's like no commitment and we halfway backslide just on the way to the car, out the door after church. Are you kidding me? That is not New Testament Christianity. It's not about how can we market this thing and make it so palatable so no one ever gets offended. We want to draw everybody in and make it sure that everybody feels comfortable because really we just want to make sure that if they can just close their eyes and ask Jesus into their heart, then they can get saved. He never said close your eyes and ask me into your heart. He said, I'm dying naked on a cross. Take up your cross and follow me. 
I still believe there's young people that want to give their life in a radical way for Jesus. I'm not believing this thing that we've got to water it down, make it so mamby-pamby that anybody can just come. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I will continue to sound this alarm. Call for the hungry. Call for those that want to give their lives for something that matters. I will call and sound that alarm till the day I die or the Lord returns. I do not care because here's why. I don't see anything less than that in the scripture. I don't see some Americanized version of this, this whole amusement park ride Christianity. I don't see that. I see a bunch of imperfect people in the scripture saying, God, take me. I'm a wreck, but you can use a wreck. So here I am. This whole thing where we whitewash it and everybody acts all holier than thou, that's the biggest pile of crud. That's not real. Everybody, I'm going to say something. Everybody's got a little Jerry Springer in their background. They do. I know half y'all don't know who that is. The other half y'all like, dear God. It's a bad talk show host who gets the worst twisted up people and puts them on display for voyeurism and provocateurism. And he profits off of people and their worst hangups. He puts them on the platform and then he gets paid for exploiting them. That's what it is. But the point is, they're so twisted up and they've had such difficulty in their lives. And I'm telling you, everybody's got that. That's what the church is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like Paul the murderer and Peter the coward and Matthew the sellout. It's supposed to look like that. It's supposed to look like Mary the harlot. All somehow united in love, Jew and Gentile, male and female, black and white, Asian, Hispanic, all united by the power of the Spirit. That's possible for us, guys. To such an extent that if Acts 5 happened then, Acts 5 can happen now. It's not about being in the church building. It's about being in the company of the redeemed, in the unity of the spirit, and the glory of God is in the midst. Now look at this. Acts 5, it says this. Next, verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord. Many signs and wonders. It's going to go on to say that their shadow was even healing the sick people. That's glory on the church. Ephesians 2, just look at it. I'm getting ready to land. I hadn't preached in two months. You guys are making it easy on me. Am, am I communicating, guys? I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about I want to be diligent to preserve this unity that he's given me. I want to humble myself. I want to get low. I want to bear with one another. I want to hang in there. I want to go for it with you guys. Ephesians 2. 
Now, therefore, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Look at verse 21. In whom the whole building, that's us, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom... You are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. I'm going to ask you a not trick question. Where was the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament? In the temple. Where is the dwelling place of God in the New Testament? Same place, in the temple. But where is the temple? Us. The problem is us is not us. Us is I. We're not in it for we. We're in it for me. Guys, there's got to be a time when we get in it for him so we can be in it for we. And when we put it in that order, it will impact me. I didn't know how powerful love was until I started giving it away. I didn't know how much it could transform somebody until it transformed me by me giving it. There is a glory that God wants to release in the dwelling of the redeemed, there is a glory that we are called to live in, and the only way we can step into that glory is with each other. I, guys, guys, there are dreams in my heart, things I've seen on the inside about God's invasion of power, His glory, His beauty in manifestation. But you know what's the biggest challenge? There's so many of them. But the biggest one is I can't get there alone. I have to get there with others. There is no individual revival. I mean, I appreciate somebody saying, I'm in a season of revival. I get it. There's a wind of refreshing blowing on your spirit. It's real. It's true. Great. We can't get a regional invasion of heaven by ourselves. We can't get glory falling on the campus with one person in a prayer meeting. We can't get glory in the midst individually. And see, what happens right now is this is primarily how the church operates. We step into times of worship and prayer. Usually it's worship because we all sing and you get united with the person. It's, it's the one time when we're all kind of saying the same thing. Right? So now you're not saying, you know, mean stuff about the person next to you. You're saying something good about Jesus. You're doing it together with the rest of the room. And what happens is though we may live in disunity and divided, what happens is we come into worship, we have these moments of unity, these beautiful moments. And when we get into those moments, we feel presence. 
And in those corporate moments of encounter where every voice is lifted and every heart is submitted and every person in the room, or maybe just a, maybe there's just a contingent in the room that's together. Maybe half the room is staring, but there's a crew in there that's united in it. Heaven starts coming down. Because he's building us together as a dwelling place for himself in the spirit. Building us together. And so those moments of encounter and worship where the presence begins to fall and we're experiencing that place of his presence and of his glory, all of a sudden heaven starts hitting. So it's New Year's Eve. This has just happened. It's New Year's Eve, and we're, in, we're doing this prayer meeting. And, you know, there's a few hundred people in the, in the room. And, um, and so we start praying for the presence of the Lord. We start praying for the fire of the Holy Spirit. Did you guys get a bug? Did you kill it? Good. We're all united in the death of that bug. Thank you, Lord. So we're praying, and we're asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall. And the room, it kind of comes alive for a minute. And the room begins to engage together. And the room is crying out for the presence of the Lord, for the love of God and the fire of God. And, and, and we call the young people forward, and like a bunch of young people come forward, everybody that's under 30 comes forward, and, and the presence of the Lord starts rolling in the room, and then some of the leaders start spontaneously sort of just praying for people, asking God to encounter people, and then, you know, uh, I pray, then Hazen prays, Dustin had prayed, and so I get off the platform, and I'm just sort of praying for people, and this guy comes up to me, and I can smell alcohol on his breath, and I'm like, you're the guy I wanted to meet tonight, <laughs> And he, he, he's looking at me, he goes, something's happening in here. I go, yeah? He goes, I feel, he goes, I feel God. I feel God for the very first time in my life. I go, have you ever given your life to Jesus? He goes, no. I go, why are you in church on New Year's Eve? He goes, my family drugged me here. I go, what? And I can, I mean, I can smell he's been drinking. Like, I'm like, he's like, he's like just like appeasing his family. Go to a little New Year's Eve church service. He's gonna, he's getting ready to go out to the club, y'all. He's, 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 you know, he's already had the pregame. Now he's gonna do a little church thing to make grandma happy, and he's getting ready to go party. I go, do you want to give your life to Jesus? He goes, Yes. He goes, y'all started praying. This is how he said it. He goes, a channel opened up, and I felt God for the first time in my life. I was, I was sitting there staring at him. I go, yes, that's right. That's how it works. <laughs> I put my hand on his chest, and his heart was beating so hard, I could feel his heart beating, like out of his chest, like through his shirt, like, I was like, oh my goodness, something's happening to this guy, like dynamic, I I go, hey, pray this prayer, this is your prayer of commitment to Jesus, pray it with me, I say, say it out of your mouth loud enough so you can hear yourself, I go, go, okay, say this, say Lord Jesus, he goes, Lord Jesus, I was like, oh my God, this guy screamed the sinner's prayer and gives his life to Jesus right there. It was awesome. I needed that. I needed to experience 
that moment with him because that's what it's about. The presence of God, the unity of the Spirit, and even an uninformed, unsafe person coming into that place, and a channel opens up. And this guy has got family members. They all go to church. He's not that guy. He's not been that guy. He's trying to make his grandma happy. And he comes to church, and the power of God's on him. Guys, this is our portion. This is why we go together. It's for the glory of Jesus. It's for his dwelling place among the redeemed. It's why Paul from jail says, be diligent. Preserve the unity of the Spirit. Listen, listen. I don't care who you are. I will never talk crap about you behind your back. And it's not because I'm a good man. It's because the scripture is so clear. We, 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 we do everything to preserve unity. And if I have a problem with you, you never have to wonder if I've got a problem with you. I will come up to you and go, I have a problem with you. <laughs> and if it comes out that gentle, the Holy Spirit is at work, friends. but I will work it. Why? Yes, I want to be, be right with you, and I want your heart to be free and at peace, and I want my heart to be free at peace. But the Scripture is so clear and so full of this that we are not to be divided ever. We're not to harbor unforgiveness. I, wa I want to so say something really, really, really clear. Someone else's righteousness or unrighteousness, it doesn't give you a license for righteousness or unrighteousness. Their unrighteousness doesn't give you a license for unrighteousness. What do I mean by that? They mistreat you. That doesn't mean you get to go, oh, I'm going to mistreat them. This is not an eye for an eye. This is, they hit me, and I gave them the other side of my face. And I cried, and I mourned, and it was painful. And I said, Father, forgive them. And I release them. That's lowliness. That's gentleness. That's bearing with one another. It's giving the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure they didn't mean it that way. I'm sure that's not how they meant to say it. I'm sure they had a hard day today. How many times do you just let people off the hook? It's hard, isn't it? I mean, sometimes people just be acting whacked. It's hard. But man, if you just just be gracious, because they probably had a tough day. I just, probably was the first one in their way. We're just diligent to preserve the unity. And if it sticks in you, just go, hey, man, I need to talk to you, bro. We had that conversation. It was hard, man. It was tough. I felt, felt like you were hitting me. Like I just felt some energy coming from me. I just, can we get that worked out? And we walk through the, the, the moment of making peace 
even if it means, even if it means we lay ourselves down like Jesus laid himself down. That's how the peacemaker made peace. He made peace through his cross by laying himself down. We are called to do the same. Okay, I could keep preaching. Y'all are so great. I'll stop right now. Let's stand. Y'all are so easy to preach to. I love y'all so much. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. You're welcome. Hey. <laughs> We go together, okay? We go together. This is going to be where we go this year, together. We go together. Real bad. <laughs> hey, if what I said was meaningful to you and you want to step into this place of being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit, knowing that it's going to require you to be humble, to forgive, to be lowly, to bear long, knowing that that's the, that's the cost of this thing. It's your pride. It's your ability to retaliate. But the, the man, the payoff, the glory of God, the power of the Lord. This resonates with you, and you're saying, and I, I want to step into the unity of the Spirit. I want that in my life, and I want it for us, for we. I want, I want us to go together in gatekeepers this year. I just want you to step forward. Just come forward. Just come and pray with me for a minute. Let's go together. Let's go together, guys. Let's go together, guys. You might even just be sitting there and you've got a conflict, a live conflict right now. And you need to forgive somebody and just release it, let them go. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Some of you have got a conflict with somebody, you need to just make it right with them tonight. Just go to them and say, I'm so sorry. Forgive me, or I forgive you. It doesn't matter. I just want to be united. Lord, right now, I pray you just blow across us by the Holy Spirit. We go together. We choose to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Lord, we turn away from meism and isolationism we turn into unity us we we are being built together as a dwelling place for God in the spirit you plural are the temple of the Holy Spirit so Lord help us right now help us Lord Lord, we haven't been good at this. Please help us, God. Help us to be gentle and lowly, humble and long-suffering. Jesus.
Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next message.